all the other times that I'd done it straight away, I was like, no, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm doing this next year. I'm, I'm not missing out on this. Straight after I'd done that one, I was like, Sammy, Adrian, not sure if you're going to see me again on this one. <laughs> and I went, went to, we went to the pub the following day, as we always do in Strangford. And we sat there and, and I could tell how much it meant to both me and Jenny because I was sat there looking a bit glum and, and I suddenly looked at her and she'd started crying. And I said, well, and I gave her a hug. This is what's wrong. She goes, I really wanted you to do it. And I thought, yeah, okay, we're coming back. <laughs> and and she, she was just gutted for me. And she was just sat in the pub crying because she really wanted it as well. And and that's what I love about this this event. It's it's such a, a team thing um, for, for not just me and her, but for, for everyone, because everyone wants people to do well in it. But yeah, it's it really meant a lot to her as well. That, my friend, was Nick Lister. And this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have a special episode for you this week with one of the members from the UK Backyard team that took part in the Big Dogs Backyard Ultra World Championships on the 17th of October a couple of weeks ago. It was an epic event to be part of. The UK team, I believe, finished in 13th place out of 21 teams when Richie Hinson completed his 39th loop. Johnny Breen, who's been on the podcast twice before, came in an amazing second place, which shows how much he's developed as a competitive ultra runner over the last couple of years. Ed McGrorty and Ian Keith ensured Island finished in 10th place with an impressive 42 loops. But the big story in my eyes was this week's guest, Nick Lister, who less than six years ago weighed in at 19 stone and realized it was time to turn a corner. After completing a couple of Ironmen in 2016, Nick entered the Castle Ward backyard and failed his way to completing the magical 100 mile mark during the World Championships, where he and his team completed against the likes of Courtney Dewalter, Amelia Boone, Maggie Guterall, and let's not forget Carl Saab, who managed to complete 75 loops, which is an astonishing 321.5 miles. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to Hiking Tours in the Morns. If you're interested on booking one of our special tours, why not follow us on Facebook? Just search Hiking Tours in the Morn Mountains or send a PM to myself. Think I've held you up long enough. It's with great pleasure I give you Nick Lister. I'd gone for a bit of a walk. Well, a bit of a walk. I'd gone walking to Scarfell Pike in the Peak District and I was with a couple of friends and I think we'd got part way up there and I was looking around at some of these people that were just marching up there quite easily. And I was puffing and panting. I've got a Dalmatian and he was flying up there, as they always do. But I was puffing and panting, having to sit and have rest. And I'm like, hang on, I'm only 32. I shouldn't be struggling this much. And there's there's people who are like 25, 30 years older than me who were flying up here. And I'm thinking, now there's something wrong here. I mean, I've always liked sport and I just not quite realised how unfit and how overweight I'd got. So, yeah, that, that was kind of, when I look back, I think that was the point that I would then think. And I think it was one of the pictures that you posted. Uh, that was where one of the pictures taken up at the top of Scarfell with my dog. The pictures will definitely do it to you. What weight were you back then? Uh, I was yeah, I was about 19 stone, just under 19. So just under 19 stone, 32 years of age, a really healthy sort of lifestyle of drinking bottles of Jack and <laughs> eating big pizzas. <laughs> No, I, like, well, listen, I, still, I, I still did sport, but I just, yeah, I was I was certainly not going at my full potential by any means. Yeah, no, that was an unfair picture. I wasn't trying to paint an unfair picture there. Like, it's just, uh, like, if I look back when I was 28 or 32, you know, I was just parting the bit out. 
end of. Um, very similar as well, very tired after work and things like that, very lethargic. And at times I thought there was things wrong with me. It wasn't even, I wasn't aware of how, well, I knew I didn't have a healthy lifestyle, but I wasn't aware mm -hmm. of how it was impacting me. And I was afraid to go yeah. to the doctors in case they told me this was wrong with you or that was wrong with you. Yeah, well, I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd already gone through a lot of going to the doctors before then. Um, but so many times we kind of ignore decent advice that's given to us and just think we know best. Because um, I would say probably four, four years, so probably about 10 years ago, I'd started to turn sort of my mental health around. Um, used to suffer from depression and anxiety a lot. And it was still hovering around, I'd say, up until about six and a half years ago when, yeah, I'd really start to try and change my life and change how I was eating and drinking. And it's, but then again, when you're doing all that, you, you don't really want to hear the sensible stuff, do you? Yeah, th there's a saying there. I'm going to get this wrong, but probably, but the, the change comes when the pain is staying the same becomes too great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know what you mean, yeah. What I want to do is try and unpack and go through that little journey that you've been on, right? So if we start at the very beginning, you know, you're just under 19 stone, but what was the first change, the first step change that you took? Like, did you start running from lamppost to lamppost or did you like? Um, it was probably going into, going into the world of triathlon to start with. A uh, friend of mine who had already got into it a little bit uh, was doing a sprint. Um, I had a background in swimming, so... I've kind of gone the other way because a lot of people who do triathlon are pretty good runners and cyclists and they hate swimming. Uh, whereas mine was the other way around. I used to do swimming at quite a high level when I was a kid. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll give it a go because 400 metres is pretty easy. I don't really need to train much for that. So, yeah, it's an easy swim. Pretty sure I can cycle, what, it's about 20K. And I'm sure even as a, a big bloke, I can muster my way through a, a 5K run. So, I did a bit of training for that, and even before then, I think in the first few months, I'd maybe lost about a stone and a half leading up to that one. And, yeah, it was just a small little Bassett Law sprint try, and I thought, actually, yeah, I quite enjoy that. How did that go then, even before we move off that? You know, because that's quite a big achievement, isn't it, when you're going from that to that? You know, it's pretty hard to, like, it's pretty... It is, and I think what it opened my eyes to was there's a lot of different shapes and sizes that compete in sport, because... I think before we do anything like that, we think there is this real elite level and, oh, no, you, it's only real top athletes that do things like that. And then when you go there, you realise, no, actually, there's a lot of people there that just trying to have a go. So how did that feel when you crossed the finish line? Can you remember that first feeling of crossing that line and that achievement? Oh, yeah, no, I loved it. And probably what the missus wasn't happy with, uh, I was just desperate to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the addiction straight from the off. What about the swim then? Your first, I know you're a good swimmer, which really helped you, I suppose. Like, um, But a sprint triathlon that can be, <laughs> you can practice in the pool all you want and then you get your first punch in the face. Or yeah, well, I mean, because this was a, it was a pool swim for the sprint triathlon. So it was 400 meters in the pool and you've only got so many people in the lane. And because like a lot of sprint tries, people don't always tell the truth on their times. I didn't realise this. I told what I thought was right and got in and I was overtaking a few people because they were a bit slower than what they, they put their time in. Um, so I suddenly thought, oh, hang on, what's going on? I'm overtaking people. Maybe I shouldn't be. And then, yeah, I soon came unstuck when I got out and got onto the bike and then a barrage of cyclists went flying past me as I was on my full steel bike and baggy clothes and... <laughs> All the good stuff, like, but it is pretty mad, like, when you just enter triathlon, isn't it? Like, you obviously haven't got a clue on what's going on, but it's pretty exciting because one minute you're in the swim and you know you're focused on that, next you know you're halfway through the bike, 
And you're like, whoa, how did that happen? And then boom. Oh, yeah, you often don't have time to think. And, and that's what I've noticed on a lot of them. I've done quite a few different ones in different venues. And before you know it, you're just reaching that finish line. And you think, damn, I've done it again. I've, I've gone through this whole thing. And I wanted to sort of experience it a bit more and see the sights and, and take in the crowd. And you think, oh, no, I'm at the finish line. Very, very quick. So what was your next step after that? Was it another try? Uh, and yeah, it was another try, another sprint. Uh, I think I did two sprints. And then stupidly, I thought, well, let's try something a bit different. And noticed there was something called the Snowman Triathlon over in Snowdonia, which they've now changed because they found it was so hard that they weren't getting a great deal of entrance. And the swim was so cold that people weren't very happy with it. But yeah, that was so I did two sprints and then went on to a, one over in climbing up a mountain for the run, which was a bit daft, but I certainly enjoyed yeah. it. No, I'd seen that there. That's one of the toughest triathlons that were out there at that time. Like, so obviously it goes yeah. up Snowden, <laughs> um, <laughs> hence the title. Um, so how did that feel then? Because that's a different, now you're moving more into the mental game. Yeah, yeah. And, and But to be honest, when I did that, I was still quite big. Well, I suppose it's only because I'm comparing the photos, but I look back now and I think, yeah, I still look quite big there. So to run up, uh, uh, this one wasn't up Snowden. It was actually right next to it and you could see Snowden while you're running, but... As you're running up hills, yeah, let's face it, weight is not your friend. <laughs> Gravity soon takes care of that. Um, but it was also going up the hills on the, on the bike as well. It's I still had my full steel bike and I wasn't, it, it was the opposite of all the gear and no idea. I was no gear and still not a great deal of idea. But that that is the thing about triathlon though. It's important that you don't need all the gear, you know, to go into to introduce yourself into triathlon just go what you can afford don't make it too expensive like when i done the ironman switzerland yeah. I, I didn't have a carbon bike but you're going past people with ten thousand pound bikes like you know oh yeah um but does... the thing is though you feel quite smug when you're flying past people on yeah. ten thousand bikes. but it's nice when you do a duathlon or something and you're going past people with triathlon kits on like and you're just in ordinary gear <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah and I, i've always been that sort of person that I'm not afraid to fail. So, yeah, if I've got all, like, on the first triathlon, I did, I had all my baggy, baggy clothes on and big T-shirt or whatever, and it's flapping in the wind as I'm going along. But, no, it, not uh, failing has never really bothered us, but I just think you learn from it, don't you? Like, at the beginning, when you're on that journey, you don't get that level of acceptance for your mental strength. You know, you're going through sort of tough endurance races like that it's still a struggle mentally struggle you're just persevering through that and knowing you can get to the end you know you really haven't learned the lessons of sort of mental strength at that stage it's just a real persistence and ignorance really isn't it to push yourself through that oh definitely i think that compared to some of the stuff i've done recently it's there is an end in sight on some of those things compared to the the thing that we know that I've been trying to do yeah there is there's an end in sight for that and you'll see some people's times and you think okay within three four hours it's going to be over but you just could but I don't think I realized quite, quite what I was putting myself through at the time I guess yeah. um on the, the mental endurance battle you just right okay let's let's go and do this it looks like it's going to be fun and then when you're out there it's like oh hang on <laughs> what have I entered yeah and, and Johnny Breen's word like it is a journey that you're going on all those lessons that you have to put yourself into those situations and bit by bit you start learning that sorry johnny had to throw it out i know you're listening <laughs> well it's funny you should mention his name he did say can you make sure that you're okay with your big him and barry actually were saying can you make sure your big toe is okay to do the interview <laughs> <laughs> they were a little bit concerned because uh, you'd not mentioned it for a couple of days so 
arseholes. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them, like, what happened after that then? So I bought over Snowden. That was a good achievement. It starts opening your mind and starts challenging your limits when you start moving into bigger, harder endurance events like that, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, straight after that, I, I, that gave me a little taster of, of how exercise can test your mind, but then help you in everyday life, I think. I then started to look at some longer events. Uh, I didn't quite mean to go as long as I did for my next event, uh, but I'd looked at, um, that's partly more the half's fault. I'd looked at doing a half iron distance, uh, the half outlaw at Nottingham. And it's so renowned for being so hard to get into. Uh, I couldn't get into it. And my missus had spoke to the race director's uh, wife and, and she says, oh, if he's going to do the half, just, just tell him to do the full, it'll be all right. Okay, I'll do that then. And then entered that just without really thinking. And then suddenly thought, oh, I've got I've got a full long distance triathlon to enter here. And yeah, that, that ended up being the next triathlon I did. Um, it's, it's class when they say, you know, all our men, it's like, yeah, you swim 2.4 miles, you cycle 112. You don't mention 26.2. You always say like, and then you run a marathon. Oh, there's, there's one point in there that I'll never forget. And that was I was just coming off the bike and I was just about to go out on the run. I've got changed. I've had a little um, bit of refueling. And just as you're coming out, all my family was stood um, just out of transition. And I thought, well, I've, I've got a marathon to run. I'm just going to stop and have two minutes chat with them. So I was having a little bit of a chat. And my sister, who, who didn't really know a great deal about them, she does quite a bit more running now. But she was like, quick, Nick, come on, go, go. I was like. Helen, <laughs> I've got 26.2 miles to go and I've just biked 112 miles. I'm just going to have a rest if it's all right with you. <laughs> How long were you from that first triathlon then, was it, until you'd done the Ironman? Uh, that'd be a year. So, yeah, so it's the Bassett Law was sort of early August, I think. And then it was the following late July for the um, Outlaw, yeah. Okay, T what about the training aspect and how... Because it, it's a lot of work like involved in an Ironman, you know, you've got your swimming, you've got your bike and the bike takes a lot of time, like, um, and as does the yeah. run, like, yeah. and it's, uh, you're totally changing your lifestyle at this stage, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and when I look back, I think I did pretty much all of that on my own with regards to training for that one, because the network of friends I've got now that I do a lot of training with, I didn't have back then. I've built them up over the years and become quite good friends with a lot of people I train with, whereas you know, back then I didn't have it. So I've got a background in knowing about sport and training. My um, degrees in sports science, but again, yeah, it didn't help me the following years after when I started drinking and eating loads. Um, but yeah, my, my degree is in that. So I kind of, I knew the basics and started to apply them um, the same as what we always do. We'll do a bit of research on the internet and, and use that and sort of plodded my way through it. And I was, I knew that I was going to be all right with that. Uh, I'd, but I remember the first time I did a hundred mile ride, got in, laid on the bed. The missus came up to me and brought a drink and said, well, you're a mess. I said, <laughs> yeah, I don't fancy doing 12 more miles of that and then doing a marathon. She says, yeah, this, this might've been a mistake. The prospect of running a marathon after doing my first 100-mile ride was, was not pleasant. What about your nutrition then? Did you take a look at, the, at, that, at that stage? Because I think that's, it was the Ironman then trying to keep balance in life made me start to focus on my nutrition. Yeah, definitely. Um, because when I'm training my clients now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them all the time, you, you're not going to stick diesel into a petrol car, or otherwise it's going to break down. And yeah, I, 
again, I knew I knew the knowledge, but same as always, I wasn't applying it before. But I thought for something like this, you, you pay a lot of money to enter these events, so I didn't really want to mess it up. So I started to apply it a little bit better. Knew that I had to lose weight because to drag this big carcass round the 140 is it's going to be a long old day. Yeah. Granted, you've got your 17 hours, but yeah, it's it's you don't want to be out that long. Or well, I certainly didn't. Um, if you haven't done anything like that before, you know, and you're doing it, I think it was my second year I'd done the Ironman. It's quite a life-changing experience, isn't it? It's not just a race. You know, I was almost 17 stone, as you said, I went down to 12 and a quarter. But because of all wow. the swimming as well, yeah, um, my body was very defined and it's mm. very toned. Um, and the energy levels that you had. But you have is it is important, you know, to make sure that you are rebalancing your life and that you are getting proper sleep. And the good thing is, obviously, you're going for your long run and your, your long bike on the weekend. So Friday night, you know, you're, you're, there's a lot more discipline involved. Oh, yeah. And I, well, what I think it showed me was how much extra you could get in your uh, your life as well, regards, once you've got your organization. I think it helped me to be a lot more organized. Um, because you've got to get in these long training sessions, it's for the longer things. It's you've got to you've got to say if you're training for a five k, you're going to be much shorter distance um, for your training. No, I was finding I was doing long hours training, and because of that, that meant I had to be more organised to fit it around a full time job. I mean, at the time I was working full time um, managing a golf store down at uh, Romford, so I wasn't actually living at home. I was living out of a hotel on and off. I don't know ask you, you're a big golfer. Yeah, I'm a professional golfer. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't know that. Obviously, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, well, a, I do know yeah, why I don't know that because I don't do any prep. So, <laughs> 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 so what, what does that actually mean? Sorry, just to sidetrack a little bit. So we'll add that bit in. So. Well, I think if, if you say you're a professional golfer, everyone thinks, oh, you must play on tour. Do you know Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy? No, not at all. Um... <laughs> I would say a lot of professional golfers these days or PGA coaches don't play a huge amount of golf. And I'm definitely a prime example at the moment because I'm enjoying doing, well, falling down the ultra well. Um, I, I enjoy doing the running and the cycling, not so much swimming, but yeah, I enjoy that more. So I'll, I'm always a, a fan of do what makes you happy. Professional golfer, a lot of them end up being coaches. And that's what I do. Uh, that's what I've been doing today. Do you think then, because like triathlon, there's one thing about running. Well, not even running, like, the whole three disciplines in triathlon. Because um, swimming is very, not unlike golf, to be honest, it's so much down to technique. Cycling, there's quite a large element of that as well and running. Do you think there's a crossover from your the way your mind's conditioned into thinking about golf and training people into actually the disciplines of triathlon? So with regards to practice uh, it's and, and going out and doing the training, Unless you put in the hours, you're not going to see the results. If you yeah. go and run once a month, say I've got people who I'll coach once a month. Well, if you go and just practice once a month or you just come to the lesson once a month, you're not going to see any benefit. And it's it's the same when you when I'm training for triathlon. It's the same when I'm training for ultra running. And also when you're applying for your, uh, applying your nutrition. Unless you're doing it sort of week in, week out and you're averaging – a calorie deficit say you're not going to lose any weight if you if that's what you're trying to do and that's it like you can you can overcomplicate things especially with triathlon and um, triathletes are well known for it all the gadgets all the data all the metrics um it's not something that i like i love my watch i love strava i love all stats after the fact but i never used it for the actual training 
but you can't beat just doing the work, no matter what the data and, and stats tell you. Oh yeah, I've got Jenny to thank a lot for that, um, for having that sort of attitude as well. Because I used to think that I needed to shave a few grams off my bike, and oh, my bike's not good enough. I need a better bike. And when I'm looking at shaving a few grams off my bike, but I'm what three or four stone overweight, it's, it's hang on, look at the engine, not the equipment. So did it come to the point then that you were you were starting to enjoy the long distance? You talked about going out and doing hundred miles for the first time. Um, were you finding then that's what you were enjoying about training for the Ironman? Was that those longer distance adventures? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because the the first hundred mile ride I did was on my own. Um, that was partly because of self preservation of the dignity of thinking I I got to sixty or seventy and I had to stop and get the missus to pick me up. But no, no, I, I battled through it and stopped a couple of times. But yeah, mustered through at a reasonable pace and was quite happy. But no, I loved the. I started to realise. I think I mentioned before the the application of using your mental strength and then suddenly realizing how much it can be used in everyday life that that made a massive difference well you're starting to learn there that how to tell yourself to shut up isn't it like because you're, you're totally wrecked on the bike you know you're at mile 80 mm. you're bonking or whatever maybe stop at the shop get something to eat and then you get back onto it you might be low of energy but you still do scrape through it yeah and i think that was um we mentioned about nutrition and i think that was what made me realize the importance of nutrition and when what we're eating and the impact that has especially for the long distance short distance you can get away with it a little bit more but no long distance it's all of a sudden half an hour later after you've just eaten something it's oh hang on i feel great and to start with you don't realize that it's because you've just had some food and you just think oh i must just be going in waves but no no generally it's because of the food that you've eaten yeah we've done a few training runs over the mountains this year and as we we're coming near the end of each of the training runs, I was saying, you know, if you're feeling tired now, it's because you must probably haven't fueled properly. Just keep mm. that in your mind. Because they're only four-hour training runs, and they weren't fast. They were slow-paced. There was a lot of climbing in them, like 5,000 feet over about nine miles. I love the how as ultra runners we behave now. It's only four-hour training runs. <laughs> 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 just just let that sink in, by the way. Nine miles and 5,000 feet, like. Um, but yeah, I, only I, four hours. Um, but it does teach you that, though, doesn't it? Like, you know, it's about getting that balance and keeping that um, fuel going in at a nice, steady pace. Oh, definitely. I was um, When I was training earlier on this year, I went out to go and do a, a long, long run. I'd planned on doing a 50-mile run with my backpack on. Started, I was on my own for the whole time. And I'd got to this point where I was actually only six miles from home, but I'd only done 30... I say only. I'd done, I'd done 50K by this point, so I'd done 31 miles. I was still 19 miles from my target. Uh, and there was a right turn to go home or getting the missus to pick me up or there was a left turn to carry on and, and go the long way and it's it was, i thought hang on this is a bit cliche because how often do you do you hear about that tale of left to take the hard road and right to take the easy but no it was it was genuine and i was putting it on facebook at the time and i thought people just think i've been cheesy here but no this is genuine i could turn right and take the easy route or turn left and i sat there had a sandwich had a, i think i had two whispers um, had a, a can of Coke and just tried to plough in some fuel. And I think within 10 minutes of turning left and trying to take that hard, I was like, oh, I feel really good now. <laughs> oh, and then you start, ah, yeah, half an hour ago, I had some food, didn't I? <laughs> so I'd clearly got my nutrition not great leading up to that point for me to feel like I wanted to give up. Yeah, that's great. Those, those little things stand by you, don't they? This, your, yeah. your mind always goes back to those moments of time. Well, there was that time where I was totally wrecked and I took on a bit of fuel. And when I used to go out on the bike and 
because of my toe, as you mentioned earlier on, Johnny, <laughs> Barry, <laughs> um, I'm going to be back on the bike, which is great. I'm really looking forward to that. But when I was on the bike, I used to always look for the hardest way to go. Now, I called yeah. it lazy training because I'd be going slow up these hills. Do you know what I mean? You're just grinding, grinding, grinding. Yeah. Um, but it's building strength in your legs. But the hard, I was always looking for the most difficult way to get to where I was going and to get home again. Now, you have to let go of your ego because Strava miles an hour looks shite. Um, yep. But it does start, it does two things. Obviously, it builds a lot more physical strength. But mentally, if you're always taking the harder way, then it really helps you then on these harder races that we're now trying to endure. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I think I got some of that from, again, a very cheesy bloke, but, but he's, he's a bit over the top. But then again, he, he's, he's pretty hardcore and he backs mostly up is Mr. Goggins which a lot of people I'm sure have read about, about the old can't hurt me. Taking and... souls, taking souls. Oh, yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he, he must burn out at times. Like, nobody can be that full on. Like, jeez. Well, everyone keeps saying that nobody can be that full on, but he just keep, it'd be interesting to be a fly on his wall to see whether he is constantly so serious. And if he is, then brilliant. If, that, if he's happy inside, then, yeah, good luck to him. Well, um, I remember hearing a, the first time I heard his podcast, it was phenomenal. Um, I went for a hundred mile bike ride in the pouring rain. <laughs> I thought this is class. This is nothing <laughs> like, um, but there was his roommate actually wrote a book about what it was like living with a seal. Um, mm. I heard a podcast with him and he is full on the whole, the whole way, but it does show oh, yeah, you. You listen to Marcus Luttrell and he's on his um, team never quit podcast. And he says, yeah, you got Navy seals and then you've got Goggins. Yeah. <laughs> But it, what it does for you, though, it, people like that, and early on, it used to be like the Dean Carnazes and play, people like that, you know, mm. it opens your mind to what is potentially, it's almost that gap analysis that you do between yourself and them unconsciously. And that always gave me the strength to push on. But yeah, also, uh, along with that, I think what they, well, certainly Goggins says a lot is, he's no different to me or you. It's it's just he's started to break down the barriers. And, and I think that's what's made me want to do quite a lot more is we're all the same. We've all got a hole in our arse and, and we can do, if we put in the graft, we can force ourselves to do a lot more than we think we can. There's this aspect of comfort and discomfort, isn't it? It's that, yeah. it's that balance that's going on. And Goggins, obviously, when we say he's full on, like to be fair to him, he has had a lot of hardships in his, yeah. in his youth, mm. which then... You know, I, I, I don't know what everybody's situation like, but, you know, I know I've lived a comfortable life compared to that. So then when you're going through hardships and later on in life, it's harder to deal with and harder to manage. So ultra running does that for you or Ironman does that for you. You know, you're putting yourself into that position of discomfort. And that's, that's exactly my story, I'd say. I, I had, compared to a lot of people, I had a very comfortable childhood with regards to I didn't really want for much. We went away on holidays. It was yeah sort of country village life and then i think that was part of what kicked in a lot of uh, the depression when i suddenly went into the big wide world of living in middlesbrough for three years and yeah that's that soon wakes you up and opens your eyes so to go from such a, a relatively easy upbringing to all of a sudden to throw it into the big wide world sometimes we're not prepared enough for it the one thing that or the two things should i say that i'm that ultra running um, putting yourself into that discomfort is teaching me is patience and acceptance 
It's the two things. Because before when I started running and, you know, I was listening to all this motivational stuff and I was marathon running, I was trying to push through at mile 22. Oh, you can do this. Oh, shut up, blah, blah, blah. But I was still resisting it. You know, I didn't realize at that time I was trying to push and force my way through it. And um, when mm-hmm. I moved into ultra running and said, I started accepting it. And it's like, well, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? And, oh, you know, things could be a lot worse than this. And you, instead of challenging it and trying to force my way through it, I was more embracing it and accepting it. And then my mind would allow my body to move on. I think that's key for a lot of people when they're doing different distances. Because I'll, I'll run with some of my clients who just walking around, I've done it before, just walking a 5K has been an accomplishment. Uh, and then there'll be some others where they're looking at doing 13 miles uh, or a marathon. And it shows how much of an impact that mind has when, even for myself, I'll go out on a 10-mile run and sometimes between miles sort of seven, eight, nine, starting to flag a little bit and it's like, oh, that's over. But then I'll go out on another day and I'll do a 20-mile run and I've not even thought about miles seven, eight, nine, 10, <laughs> 11, 12. And it's like, I'm not starting to flag till I've got to about 16, 17, 18. And you think, oh, thank God that's over. Oh, thank <laughs> it shows how much of a massive impact our mind can have on us and, and how we create our own limitations most of the time. Yeah. Cause like that last two miles is always difficult. It doesn't matter if it's a four mile run, a 20 mile run or whatever oh, it is. Yeah. It's always like, I always if I go for a four mile run, not even super fast, you know, I said, I couldn't have done, I couldn't have done five or you go for a 22 mile run. I couldn't have done 23. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's creating those limits and the, and the subconscious limits that you don't realize. If you want to go out and you think, right, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and do this. And it's sort of, you get to it, it's right, I need to stop now. I need to stop, I need to stop. <laughs> so what came, what came after that then? So, um... Well, leading up to that, up to the second one, I had entered uh, something that I know we both love. And it was the first ever last one standing in 2016. And that was in February. And then I think I had what, about a month and a half after that, I then had the, Man- the second Manchester Marathon. So where was the last one standing? Was that Castle Ward in February? Yes, it was. Yeah, Castle Ward in February. Yeah, I've oh. only ever done up until uh, last month. I've only ever done the Castle Ward. Okay, epic event. Yeah. I have to give it to them. It's a great course. Oh yes, it's phenomenal, and that's that's probably the thing that's got me hooked and fallen down the ultra well. Okay, I'd say. I I saw. Uh, uh, I don't want to go into it yet. I was going to go into the end, but we'll go into it now. Um, I find it. It's almost like an ultra running school, that event, because it covers every single aspect of ultra running, your food, your mental strength, yeah. your body. When you go into like the Castle Ward in February, kit becomes such a critical thing. Um, and I, and I, I guarantee no matter how many times you've done it, you will learn something when you do it. It doesn't matter whether you're the person that's won like four times in a row for Castle Ward, Mr. Cromie, or whether you're the first guy that's ever tried it you learn so much and he will have learned. I'm very sure he'd admit he, he will have learned something every single time he's done it. Like I've only done it the once and um, my, the lap before the lap I went out was my best lap. And I was like, I'm definitely knocking a hundred miles out of the park today. This is going to be simple. <laughs> um, two laps later I was out, but I remember the lap just before I went out and I looked behind and I was near the back. Now I just had a bad stomach and, but Peter Cromie was way behind me and I was like, Hmm. And then he went on to have a, an excellent duel with Ian Keith in the worst conditions yep. possible. And Ian Keith is a master in those conditions. You know, that was really playing to his favor. And he still, yeah. he still beat Ian in those conditions. Like, and 
the thing is though, Pete Cromie is not the sort of person that you can look at and you think, oh, is he is he struggling then? Because he's back here. Nah. It, it, from what I can gather, he's 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 chucks in slow ones, chucks in quick ones, and you just never know why he's doing it or when he's going to do it. Yeah, there's a lot to be learned there. So moving into the backyard then, so 2016, so you're quite an established backyard. And then how many events you've done? Four? I've done, in total, I've done six now. Six, okay. So yeah, that... so I did, I've done every single Castle Ward, so 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, and then did the World Champs a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to be really horrible now. Um, <laughs> talk to me about your DNFs. <laughs> <laughs> in each of those years. But the thing is, though, no, when, when you say talk to me about your DNFs, normally people are like, oh, yeah, I know it was awful, I DNFs. No, no, there's almost... Yeah. But the, the reason, why, the reason why I asked that, by the way, is to get the learning out of that. What was the step learning that you took out the DNF? Because there's always a huge lesson there or something went wrong that you could avoid or something this, that or the other. Hence, your DNF. So what happened in 2016? 2016 probably didn't help that I, I think I kick-started some arthritis into, you'll love this one, into my big toe, <laughs> um, because I booted a rock on loop seven. So the first thing I noticed there was make sure your head torch is on as soon as possible, because I, uh, I was running the loop thinking, ah, I'll be all right. And when you're out in the open and it's getting dark, yeah, you can see as soon as you go stepping into that forest and you can't, you can't see a thing. And yeah, booted a rock. Um, the the whole crowd again coming past me and they see me punching the wall because I'm in so much pain because I feel like I've broken my toe. Two loops later, I've dropped out. Yeah, to be fair, like there's a lot of stones and rocks and roots on the trail. It's not as it's yeah. not as like you seen a rock and kicked it. It's so easily done. <laughs> it is so easily done on that course. Like, okay, so yeah. 2017, we got the head torch out of 2016. By the way, good light. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I eventually, yeah, eventually got that. So twenty, yeah, twenty sixteen, I think only, I only did nine loops. It's about, I say only, it's still thirty eight miles. But yeah. and that was the first ever ultra I'd done. Um, wasn't happy enough with how I'd done there, thinking the the toe stopped me. And certainly, I went there thinking, oh, I must be able to get the fifty mile mark. And yeah, and I, I missed it by three loops. Um, so yeah, I went back to uh, twenty seventeen, uh, got to fifteen, and I think that's the hundred k mark. And again. I think I'd maybe set myself a, a subconscious uh, target there because once I got to that and saw there was this big milestone that I'd passed, yeah, I just want, I, I, as they were, I died in the chair. I didn't want to go back out. No, no, I've had enough. Can't go anymore. And yeah, it was, again, my mind stopping me. It, it's, it's great now because that's what I've always said. I think the ultra world is growing together through the backyard events that we're all learning mm. about what to do and what not to do and the likes of podcasts and things like that, you know, dying in the chair. You wouldn't, it would, you wouldn't even be conscious that that was even a, a problem. Yeah. But yeah. now oh, we yeah. know these things. Like, And now everybody's helping everybody else by sharing their stories. And, and you say about learning, I reckon if you've never done an ultra, one of the safest ways, yeah, they sound ludicrous and loopy, but one of the safest ways to do an ultra, I think, is do a backyarder go out and do this last one standing format because at the most you're only ever maybe 2.1 miles away from home it's not like gonna go out and do a big point to point in snowdonia and, and do a, a 50 mile away you could be out in the middle of nowhere it's it's i felt um if i've been open and honest about it i felt a little bit exposed going to a backyard so i'd done these yeah. um long distance like i'd done ccc um, I might have to edit that out because in my head I was like, don't mention CCC. <laughs> Do you know what the problem <laughs> is? Because of COVID and we're not racing, 
um, you're going back to the same and repeating the same bloody races. Um, but you know, you've no option but to keep going in those races, you know, and it's, yeah, it's even though it's mentally tough and it's really, really hard, you're still not being, you're not really being confronted with that decision point of actually I can. Well, it's coming back to that analogy of your left and right turn. It very much mm. is that, isn't it? But then um, again, that, that depends on why you're entering the event, I guess, because if you're entering it because you want to go in there for that ultimate mental test, then yeah, the, there is no greater battle, I'd say, than the types of the backyarders. But if you're looking at more of a fitness test, uh, and how well your training's gone, then yeah, a point to point, something like that, that's 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 got a finish line, I think works better for you. Whereas me, when I was first entering a, an ultra, I was I'd never done an ultra before. I'd only done a, a couple of standalone marathons. Thought, well, let's go and do that because if as long as I've got past the twenty six point two, then I can say I've done an ultra and I'm, I'd be more than happy. So I wasn't going into it thinking. Right, I think I might be able to win this. And no, no, it was it was. Let's go and dip me toe in ultra and see what happens. Yeah. And yeah, I, I didn't just dip me toe. I think I fell over in the water and smacked my head. <laughs> um, yeah, I was actually quite surprised how easy I pulled out. You know, after the fact, you know, I went in and had some suit when I was grand. I could have done another fifty miles, most probably. But it was just, mm. it was such a quick moment of weakness. And that's what you have to be conscious of. And I think that was a good way to to break it up the way you sort of described it there. You know, is it a physical test you're doing or is it a mental test? And I know I was going in for a mental test and I yeah. was looking forward to that. And for some reason on the night, I hadn't prepared myself for that. And then when the, that, that left or right turn came, I actually took the right turn. I think a lot of times, but certainly for the backyarders, it, you can't it, it, you can't really prepare yourself unless you've been in a similar sort of situation where you can stop if you want, but you, the idea is to keep going. It's, but the, that's the problem. If for, it's been a bit cheesy, but life you can't stop. You've got to keep going. Whereas in sport, you can stop if you want to. So it's forcing yourself to be uncomfortable. I think we mentioned earlier on, it's, it's, it's being used to being uncomfortable and embracing that uncomfortableness and going beyond that point of where you don't want to stop and trying to tell yourself and, and, and go back to Goggins is, is getting, getting through that 40% rule. Yeah, no, the big learning for me coming out of that was because um, it was a B race for me. And what I found was I can't be in that situation in the B race because then mm. I have my A race that was coming up in june I, I i had too much doubt then i was like i don't want to because it was such yeah. a tough tough evening we had storm dennis i think it was i didn't want to burn myself out <laughs> that i was going to be out for a month so my big lesson was i want to strip myself down that i don't have those caveats in the background that my mind can use against me when i'm, I'm feeling really weak and i want it to be the a race and i want it to be getting as far as i can with my own sort of mindset in the right place Oh, yeah, as soon as you've got a slight excuse for giving up <laughs> in a backyard, you know you're stopping. And, and if you're going into that with thinking, oh, okay, well, uh, I've got this event coming up in a month's time, you, you can almost guarantee you're not going to push yourself as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, That's one thing I've discovered is you need to go into these. It sounds a bit sadistic and weird, but if you want to go as far as you possibly can, you need to accept that you're going to wreck your body a fair bit and you're going to be in all manner of pain when you finish. Yeah, because they can wipe you out. You know, hundred miles can wipe you out. You know, both yeah. mentally and physically for a, a good month. 
Yeah, and it comes down to that mental state, and on the day it can it can suddenly be different. I think uh, Bobby taught me that. He goes, you you can be you can be feeling brilliant. You might think you're strong, but it's all on the day. Yeah, that's Bobby Irvine, by the way, for those who don't know. Oh yeah, <laughs> legend that he is. So uh, much, so much respect for that man. Yeah, uh, 2018. Then what happened? That was I only managed one more loop, and again, I think it's oh, I've hit a PB, feeling good. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's just that that central governor in your mind is is dragging you back down, thinking, let's just protect ourselves. And yeah, I was just still not strong enough to force myself past the pain barriers or or to keep going. I also think it was nutrition a bit on that year as well. I had a fair few stomach cramps and not knowing how to handle it. Uh, So, yeah, that that played a big part. And what type of things what type of things do you fuel on now? Uh, yeah, this is when the uh, the PT training goes out the window. Pizzas. <laughs> um, I, it's a mixture of stuff that I know is right for me, but also a bit of stuff that I know is going to be uh, give me a bit of comfort when I'm in a very dark place. Yeah. Not only literally because it's night, but because I'm feeling horrendous. Because you need your stomach settled, don't you? It's, it's learning yeah. what foods yeah. keep your. It's, it's learning what foods you can keep on taking. I always try and think about, you know, because these are long events, like, you know, 24 hours is a full day. If you weren't mm. training and running in a normal day, what would you eat? You know, in a normal working day, you know, you get up, you have your breakfast, you have your lunch, you have your dinner, you have snacks in between. If you mm. replace that with what you're going to eat on race day, like, would you have a nice day if you weren't running? Like, <laughs> And I could look back and say, absolutely not. Like, um, with the amount of sugary stuff that I was taking, um, well, you would do, but it's probably Christmas Day with the amount that you've eaten. <laughs> yeah. And you know how you feel after that. You know, you're, you're sort of lying in a heap after that with a total oh, God, sugar yeah. o- sugar overdose. Um, yeah. But really solid foods is what you sort of go to, like. Yeah, mixed. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll occasionally have a bit of bit of warmth, but that's probably only come in over the last few that I've done. Um, there was some sandwiches. Yeah, so solid food, like you say, and... It's probably only the last few years I've started to incorporate some protein shakes and other things that are going to set on my stomach, like the old Actimel and things like that, that you think, actually, yeah, I need to start using a bit more common sense rather than just smashing down the whispers, cookies, flapjack, and having that sugar overload. And I think that probably that was one of the limiting things for that 15 and 16 uh, in the first. So I suppose, yeah, that was the third year that I'd done it when I got to 16. And, yeah, I was still... A ro- certainly a rookie when it came to nutrition i think yeah how what was your mindset like after that then when you like you done one more loop you know you done the 100k so you hit that milestone and then you came mm. out and then you done one more loop which is a P- pb so oh, i'm happy with that like because it's tough like you know we know it's it's real tough you're crawling your way through that trying to hit something and you've got a, a i don't want to use the word why but you've got that why <laughs> that's <laughs> making you go past that place where you haven't been before and then you're out the, the first one was uh, more of a let's dip me toe in the ultra world and then from then onwards it was actually no, i reckon i can get to 24 hours here surely i can do this surely and then the next one was 15 so in my mind i'd not got to where i wanted go back another year uh, sorry go back the year later and yeah 16 i've still not got to where i wanted and it, it becomes more frustrating so it Although at the, as you're finishing at 16, you're thinking, like I used to when I had a hangover, never drinking again. 
finish that finish that loop 16, never running again or never doing uh, backyard again. Following day, yeah, should we book the accommodation? <laughs> because I still hadn't got to where I wanted to. I wanted to get to that minimum of that 24 mark. And so, yeah, so I'd done 17. I think, no, I've, I've got to go back and, again and, uh, and get to uh, where I want to be. So that brings you to 2019. So what happened then? This was um, the big year now. Well, you've, you're, you're now a well-established backyard. Yes, I've done it three times thinking, <laughs> right, come on, yes. So I was hoping it was third time lucky. That never came. Uh, so, yeah, I go back and for a lot of it, believe it or not, it wasn't raining. Because um, normally when I come over to Northern Ireland, I need my canoe and a wetsuit. Um, but, yeah, it was. it went a lot more smoother um i was a lot more far more mentally stronger um the my chief crew person um or pit crew bitch that i sometimes call is jenny she's fantastic mother half she, she's incredible and we seemed like we, we thought we'd got it bang on although once i got to the end of loop 20 uh i know she's got the same sort of mental state as me because i was waving a bit and sort of waddling from side to side possibly hallucinating and she said nick stand still the medic's looking at you and i'm not having your wister on so i suddenly <laughs> yeah so i suddenly sort of smart myself up there and went back out for loop 21 and as i went out for loop 21 i reminded myself where i was by looking at the weather it honestly it was horrendous the heavens opened uh, i suddenly realized i was on my own everyone else had all gone so i was the last one at the back of the pack out in that open part just on that um, first stretch it was really um, windy late, wasn't it? Really windy. Oh, yeah. really. Yeah, the, the rain wasn't coming down, was it? It was sideways. Within 10 minutes, my, I'd gone to thinking, I'm only four loops away here. This, this is going to work. I'm going to do it. Uh, I just want to get back to near the camp so I can stop. Um, I turned I turned the, the gentle little run into a, a gentle walk, and then it was walking 50-yard stop, 50-yard stop. So that first mile took me just under 20 minutes. And then Jenny met me and said, right, come on, you're not, you crack on, you're going, you're going left, you're not turning right, you're not going into the uh, camp. I says, Jenny, I don't care what the fuck you say, I'm going that way. <laughs> I've had enough and I'm going into the, uh, I'm going to the camp and I'm handing my chip back to Sammy. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, I managed 85 miles, first mile of Luke 21. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's uh, it, yeah, like... Yeah, grated me straight away. And that's it, like, isn't it? It's not even that you... You don't even care. You know, you're at that point, you don't even care. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's not even that you want to push on or, or you're worried about this or that. You just don't care. You know, and it's hard, no, no, I, it's I, hard I, to be that. I 100% had enough and there was nothing that Jenny could have said that had got me back out. She was trying her best. It was like, come on, Nick, you're not injured. Clear off, get running. And I was like, no, I've, I've done the first mile in 20 minutes. I've now got 3.2 more to do and I've got 40 minutes. How can I possibly do that? And you think, hang on. I'm sat here today thinking, what, I couldn't possibly run 3.2 miles in 40 minutes. <laughs> and you think of it now, you think, well, that's easy. But no, at that point, when my legs weren't working and all I wanted to do was get out of that rain, was, uh, it was straight into that tent and get back to that comfort zone. So what do you think had changed from 2019 to, say, 2017, when you've done 62 to almost getting the 100? Like, what gave you the extra 20-odd miles? Uh, nutrition was played one part in it. Uh, started having a, a protein shake during because um, as your body's starting to break down, if, if it's going to start eating itself, you need to make sure you've got a decent source of protein there as well. Um, mental state as well, acceptance of 
when you're going into it, it's gonna hurt. Um, and that's what we that's what we enter them for. You, you're not going in there for all roses and smiles. You're going in there because you know it's gonna hurt. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's that it's that acceptance. You talked about Bobby earlier on. That that was coming to mind when you were talking there. You know. And you know how he starts to welcome each each part of the pain. You know, all of a sudden your legs sore, and it's like, oh, there you are. I was wondering when you yeah, turned yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, of knowing that the pain's going to come. Yeah, he, I, I did like that on, on how he spoke and, and and talked his way through and says, oh, yep, yep, here you come. I've got that ankle pain. I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah, that was great. How did you feel after that then? Because you were so close to that goal. Like, and the and the problem with it is, you know, you had to do twenty one loops to get to that point, and you're only three loops off it. Mm. Um, you know, to go again, you have to go through all of that pain again just to get to the place that you'd been. All the other times that I'd done it straight away, I was like, "No, I'm coming back. I'm I'm doing this next year. I'm I'm not missing out on this." Straight after I'd done that one, I was like, "Sammy, Adrian, not sure if you're going to see me again on this one." <laughs> and I went went to we went to the pub the following day as we always do in Strangford, and we sat there and. And I could tell how much it meant to both me and Jenny because I was sat there looking a bit glum and and I suddenly looked at her and she'd started crying. And I said, well, and I gave her a hug. This is what's wrong. She goes, I really wanted you to do it. And oh. I thought, yeah, OK, we're coming back. <laughs> and and because she, she was just gutted for me and she was just sat in the pub crying because she really wanted it as well. And and that's what I love about this this event. It's it's such a, a team thing um, for but not just me and her but for for everyone because everyone wants people to do well in it but yeah it's it really meant a lot to her as well so what happened in 2020 then um a lot of extra things i think that played on my mind and whole family were over mum dad um uncle and auntie from london i've got some uh, i've got an uncle and auntie who live in lisbon uh, and they they drove over to come see so i've got all of my family there um, I had a few little sponsors for an event I was doing later on in 2020 that were sort of being tagged in and included in. And, and I think I just built so much up to it and thinking, like, this is the year. It's happening. <laughs> it's on. And, yeah, it was, it was like being at the start line of 100 metres and the gun goes off and you've tripped over your own shoelaces and you've just headbutted the start line. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was... A comedy of errors, I think. Uh, I went over there with some friends. So I thought, brilliant, I've got people to run with. Yeah, okay, Rachel and Gareth and Joe. And they had their own crew, family at the start line as well, seeing me off. And for some reason, I just sort of went really introvert, barely spoke to anyone. And they thought, oh, he's, Nick, Nick's really on form. He's, he's, he's focused. He's not speaking to anyone. He's really, he, he's got his own game plan. And looking back, no, I didn't have my own game plan. For some reason, I was just hiding within myself. Um, making putting way too much pressure on myself and building all this tension and nerves around it, and obviously it uh, didn't work. Yeah, it's putting yourself in that arena, really. I suppose with so many people there, and it's the expectations that they have of you that you start carrying. Um, mm. that's but they they didn't even have those expectations. It was, uh, and we create those expectations yeah, yeah. ourselves. And and that goes down to the whole pressure thing. The only person that can put pressure on on yourself is you. And when you actually look around and ask people, oh, what did you expect me to do? Or did you did you think I should have done? It's like, no, no, we just wanted you to do your best. Yeah. That's why I love um, one of my favorite backyarders is Johan Steen. And it's really, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's having the ability. And that is 
that's why I want to get racing more and more so I can start developing <laughs> it, that you can actually block it out and yeah. you are really in the present and you mm. are just dealing and managing with that next step and nothing When else. you look at the prep he had, it was next to nothing, wasn't it? He had yeah. a nightmare coming into it. But it's been able to say, because that's one key aspect, you know, a lot of things we've talked about, apart from the food and nutrition, is thought process and, you know, your mental strength. And mm. being able just to let it all go, it's not an easy thing. But that's the ultimate place as an ultra runner that you want to get to, isn't it? That you don't have, you just got an empty, not an empty mind. You know you can do it. Um, but, yeah, you're just staying present, really, I suppose. Yeah. And, and by staying present, what I think is the key, key to that is almost forgetting your reality, which is something I, I used later on in the year. Um, is forgetting about those great comforts and the okay that log fire that you want to go and sit next to and but yeah it, that the, the twenty nineteen uh, sorry twenty twenty last one standing is, is certainly an event I'd quite happily forget but not forget because I want to learn and use from it. Yeah, we well, did have Storm Dennis. Now it was maybe one of the worst backyards that have ever taken place on the globe, to be honest. Um, although I do the reason why I like. Castle Ward is February, is the cold, is the wet, is the challenge mm. of the diversity. Oh, yeah, that's why I kept going back. Yeah, the challenge of the adversity that that brings with it. Like that, that attracts me a lot more than a lovely flat summer sort of backyard where you're yeah. just trying to get it up. It's really it's testing you to your limits, like, isn't it? Mm. Oh, definitely. But the, I think the thing that frustrates me with regards to because so many people have said, oh, yeah, but you had a storm. It was, well, hang on, there was still best part of 20 other people that did that 24 miles so i'm always of the opinion and well if they could do it well, what was stopping me why didn't i do it um and given the, the the 21 or nearly 21 loops the previous year i thought well no i i should have done it and and i wanted to do it but so i can't in my mind i couldn't use storm dennis as an excuse yeah. it was more the fact that i became very much a, the opposite kind of person i am an introvert and and not speaking to people and not sharing my my loops and experiences and and what's going on during the event with everyone else around me and just thinking no no I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to battle this on my own and yeah that didn't work because <laughs> yeah, when I looked at the when I was at home looking at the people that were just crossing 24 um hours and I looked and I know quite a few of the guys as well and it was like you can tell it's just mental strength that's got yeah. them there through that you know and for me, I was like, I know I've got good, strong mental strength. I should have really been there with those guys. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there was that element of reflection for me after that. Um, but I, I know exactly why that had happened because it was a B race for me. Um, and I've taken that yeah. lesson yeah. forward and that my next, the next backyard I do, I'm not going to have anything booked after that. Because I really want oh, definitely, yeah. I <laughs> want to strip that excuse away now. I might have another excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll always to... find excuses yeah but I'll, i know i need to take that out so how many loops did you do in 2020 15 so again got to that 100 uh well i finished the 15th but i think my 15th didn't come back in in time um i'd i'd missed the time on 15 jenny was panicking wondering where i was obviously storm dennis was happening um bobby had stopped on purpose bobby Evan had stopped on purpose at 15 because he was he'd done the same as you he'd, he'd, he'd made it a b race because he had that ludicrous tunnel event to do um uh, not too far after. So he'd saved himself and he said, no, Jenny, don't, I'll go and find him. So he walked all the way down and I'd, I'd promised Jenny that I would finish every loop that I started. And uh, even to the point of where you can cut back in and, and take a shortcut, I said, no, no, sorry, Bobby, I'm going to have to go around here because I said I'd finish every loop. And 
and uh, Bobby even walked that bit with me and and walked me all the way in. Uh, so yeah, did fifteen on that one and ended up uh, feeling way too uh, good the following day, <laughs> as opposed to feeling wrecked because I'd pushed myself to my limit and I hadn't. And yeah, I was grumpy as hell on a massive big family dinner on the Sunday evening. Yeah, so Lazarus Lake obviously had the World Championships arranged for October, but COVID had other plans. Like, So it was mm. a total lockdown. Nobody was going to be able to join that. But that created an opportunity, didn't it? So they created the World Championships, yeah. um, which was a team event. So just tell me briefly what the event was about. Yeah, rather than it being a, a mass sporting event where you can get a lot of people in yeah it was it it was a team event where you'd have a team 15 uh it was all done linked via satellite so i think there was originally there was 26 countries but covid restricted that on some of the countries where they couldn't run the race i think there was possibly actually it was 21 or 23 countries that actually took part in the end but it was, it was incredible to have got all of that linked up and going through all at the same time with tennessee basing it around their start time of seven o'clock. So that meant we started our race at uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, which was... So tell me, not... tell me about getting... Because um, you were in Team UK. So over here, we had Team UK and Team Ireland who were going to compete. Tell me about how you were contacted and how you found out you were going to be part of Team UK. Uh, we got a message through from Sammy and Adrian from uh, Atlas Running who organised the last one standards that we'd done. And it was, it was a lot of it was based on how we'd performed over the years. I must admit, I was surprised to start with because I think I was one of the few people in that team that hadn't got to the 24-hour mark. Um, but they wanted people in that team that would go for as long as they possibly could and they knew wouldn't give up. Because the although it was looking to get a world champion that was going to go for the most amount of hours, there was also the team aspect of the most amount of, as the Americans put it, yards. So they needed to, everyone just to get as many, many loops as possible and not just think, OK, I've got to the, the, the 50 mile mark or the 100k mark and I'm going to stop. It's no, you, you just go as far as you possibly can. And I think they knew that I wanted to do that. <laughs> I love that dynamic, like, because it takes away that moment of weakness on that left turn and right turn when you're there it's an easier decision an easier decision to keep pushing forward and other people are relying on you i like that because it was a totally mm. different dynamic isn't it really yeah no, the, the the very the different thing i found for this event compared to the normal uh backyards that i've done uh at castleward was going to the whole taking souls thing when people are dropping out in this sort of event all of a sudden it lifts as evil as it sounds it lifts you <laughs> um okay they've dropped out and i'm still going oh i'm starting to feel quite good yeah okay i'm i'm still going oh I must, yeah i'm doing really well and and that happens a lot more in an event yeah you've normally you've normally got about 120 runners in the uh, uh in the last one standing and you've only got a team of 15 these are elite runners and they're not going to drop out very early. Whereas you've got a lot of people who might drop out after seven loops because they've accomplished that goal of doing the, the ultra. Um, so you're not getting that lift every single hour, sort of nine, 10, 11. Oh, how many are left standing? And how, how many are still going? And it's, no, no, there's still all 15 in. <laughs> we need to keep going. <laughs> Pretty unique, though, having your name listed with some of those people. Like the oh yeah, I was, when, when and... I got when I got told it, I was I was honoured because uh, you look at the standard of people. Um, I mean, Pete Cromie was on the team, but unfortunately he was injured, so he, he couldn't uh, join us. 
but yeah, it was th- to be lined up against the people like Sean Nichols, Bobby, um, uh, Adam McKee, Johnny Breen, and a few of the others like uh, Richie Hinson, who did end up winning. Um, phenomenal athletes, really good. But that was at a local level, though. But uh, as, from a global level, you know, the likes of Dave Proctor, Courtney Dewall, or you know, the it best. was a little bit daunting when I when I think, hang on, in theory, I'm going up against these guys here. They're, there's some properly insane distance runners, and I'm now in a in theory in a world champs race against them. Yeah, it was quite strange. So talk me through the first ten loops. How did that go for you? Um, first few was, as I would expect, they were very comfortable. Everyone's quite relaxed. Everyone's chatty. Spirits are high. Um, good, but bu- then, good buzz to be racing as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it was totally different. Not totally, It was a different race in respects to slightly different venue. Um, but we were all as a team and we we're trying to work together. It was Yeah, it was great fun. What, what was um, the camaraderie like? I think because a lot of people had already got to know each other, we were all really sort of helpful towards each other in the camp. Uh, it made it a little bit more tricky with the whole COVID thing because we couldn't sort of give each other a hug when we met each other and things like that. It was obviously we had to stick to certain things. And the way Sammy and Adrian did it in the event was fantastic. They'd not left a stone unturned there. Um, but yeah, they, everyone was really friendly and, and that always makes a massive difference on some event like that because the last thing you want to do is, certainly as a team, is is having battles against each other when you're uh, you're trying to get as far as possible and you need to be comfortable or, or get used to being uncomfortable. So when did you start to, when did the wheels start to rock slightly? Um, strangely enough, it was actually around seven, eight, nine, which was, um, I mean, it didn't continually be un, unsteady from that point, but uh, I think because I'd let my mind wander, you talk about staying in the present, I started to think, right, okay, I've done seven, eight, nine hours, and, and suddenly past experiences started creeping into my head of how much pain I was in at, say, loop 21 of 2019, and you think, oh, no, I've got that still to come, and I'm only on loop seven. I've got, a, and if I want to start getting past PBs and things like that, it's, it's, and I wasn't staying in the present and just thinking, just one more loop, just one more loop. And yeah, I had to. And that was playing on my mind, certainly for seven, eight, nine. And and then once I started to get past that, I started to get a bit more comfortable. It settled into the dark nights and, and nightfall came. And I think once you've got a couple of the night loops under, you, you kind of almost just settle in for the night and you just get into a bit of a rhythm. Well, I certainly found I did um, for the first sort of three or four, so which took me into sort of, um, you know, set the... 9, 10, 11, 12, went past the 50 feeling quite comfortable. Um, but then all of a sudden between loops, I'd say 14 to 18, really bad stomach issues. Um, I think uh, four loops, four trips to the toilet. So that's, so that's four trips to the toilet in four hours. And I think there was probably a fifth one as well. Um, really, really struggling by that point. But I remembered I'd been through that before. I'd had that experience and yeah, there's, there's a way out of it and you have to make sure that you're eating properly. Um, I suddenly thought back to what I'd eaten, what I'd had more of that I shouldn't have done. And yeah, I'd, I'd muscle my way through that and just embrace the fact that I was being uncomfortable and thought, let's crack on. Everybody else is feeling all right. So let's just move forward. And then as I started to move forward, it started to creep out of it, started to feel a little bit more comfortable and as I went through loop 19 and 20, um, I even got to the point where I was annoying Johnny with my singing. I, I'd, 
I stuck my headphones on. I was feeling quite happy going past loop 20, 21, thinking, I feel like I'm going to press on to at least 30 here. I'm, I'm feeling pretty strong. Um, but I think my singing was annoying Johnny so much, I ran forward into um, uh, away from the rest of the group so that uh, they couldn't hear me singing. Um, but Johnny was but, struggling at that stage. Like, Johnny, uh, yeah, that, I, that I was, was that, I was watching, confused by that. I was watching the screen. Johnny done absolutely phenomenal. Like, um, he done over 150 miles and come second. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, yeah. When I seen him around that point, you know, he was coming out the back and he was coming out like a rigged old cowboy. <laughs> But he, he said to me, he goes, don't you worry about me. You crack on. I'm a lone wolf. And then those were his words. Yeah, you, you carry on. I'm a lone wolf at the moment. So, oh, OK. Um, and I, I was coming in sort of 2021 20, feeling really, really strong. Um, and yeah, he was he seemed like he was really struggling. But also the same at the same time, Sean Nickel was saying he was really struggling as well. Um, yeah, a lot of positive talk going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone was like, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, really, really doing well. Um, no, I think by that point, the thing is, no matter whether you've you've gone through and you've done 30, 35 loops, going past 22, 23, 24 hours, it doesn't matter whether you're an experienced one or not. And I'm sure at some point, well, I'm, I'm, maybe they don't, but some of the ones that went super long, they were struggling earlier on. When I say earlier on, around 24, 25, 26. So relatively, it's early on for them. They'll always had their battles of, in the same way, going past loop seven for me, I was really struggling mentally, which for me, yeah, that was very early on because I was confident that I wasn't going to, I shouldn't be stopping then. But it's just going through those waves and, and accepting that it's just a mood and it will pass. Uh, and that's something I've really learned over the years. It's just a mood, it'll pass. So you couldn't have written it like in the World Championships, um, you did scrape past in the 24 hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. You done. One more loop after the 24 hours? No. Um, again, I think the subconscious took over. Uh, I think I've been blocking a fair amount out. Um, on my 24th loop, Bobby and Sean, who had run every single Castle Ward with me, refused to leave me on that loop because they didn't want to risk me not making the 24. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, no, we're not leaving this down to chance, Nick. We're not leaving you. I was like, no, no, go on, carry on. You've got your own race to think about. I said, no, no, we're, we're, not, we're not leaving you at all. So it wasn't until they had about 100 metres to go, they sort of ran on in front. Um, but no, as we went out to, to the 25th, uh, I was leaning on one of the uh, railings, dragged my sorry ass up and then carried on. Sort of loop round, I think I did about 150 metres. And I said, sorry, guys, I can't block anything out. I'm, I'm, I'm not going. And I think I might have been blocking a fair amount of pain out just to get to that 24 because it just felt like I'd opened the floodgates and everything started coming in. And so I think the subconscious took over and just suddenly released a lot. <laughs> There's a big learning to be had there as well, though, isn't it? It's about how we control and manage that. Now, I, I know we had Pam Reed. I'm sorry, we've got Pam Reed on next week. <laughs> I was going to say last week there. I know we got and we sort of talked about that slightly as well. Whereas, you know, some people are naturally have this natural mental strength that are able mm -hmm. to block it out. I'm not one of those people at all. You know, this has been a very long learning progress for me. Um, to learn how to become mental strong. Now I have a lot of confidence in my mental strength. You know, I wouldn't have had like 10, 15 years ago at all. So it's not something, and I think it comes back to that comfort sort of zone of growing up and having a very, fairly comfortable life. And I'm not saying that you have to have an uncomfortable life to be mental strength. <coughs> but I do think that there is an aspect of, you know, some people are have a talent for it. 
and other people oh, yeah, when, really have a lot to of people think it. I'm mentally strong but no I'm I'm not a mentally strong person uh, and I, that's why I do the, these events because I know it'll make me mentally stronger mm. um yeah it's, I, I I I've struggled with my mental strength or mental health over the years so I've and that's why I use ultra running because I know nothing, it, it, there's not a lot that you can do to force yourself into the uncomfortable situations these days. So I'll, I'll, I'll use exercise, I'll use fitness, and I'll use these, these daft ultra running events to do that. Yeah, because they, they do, they make you grow as an individual, don't they? And yeah. in ordinary life, yes, we do have hardships and adversities to overcome in ordinary life. But racing in a, it's still a safe enough environment, even though you're going into that deep, dark place, but you're doing mm. it with community, you're doing it with that goal and that challenge and that reward that you know does exist within that. And it's a great way of putting yourself into that place of discomfort. I'm not making it sound nice, by the way. <laughs> well, no, you're you right, though. It's a lot of time, it's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> How did you reflect on that then after doing a hundred miles? Like, were you happy? Obviously you were happy to make the hundred miles. Um, but do you feel there's a lot more to give there? Yes. Because of that feeling that I had going through loop 20 of, yeah, I've, I'm feeling pretty good here. I'm feeling strong. Um, yeah, let's, let's go past the 24. Let's get into the thirties and, and let's just, just keep thinking of one more. But unfortunately, I was getting ahead of myself. I wasn't just thinking one more loop, one more loop, one more loop. And there's things that I've looked back on and thought, actually, no, I didn't do this towards the end. That I should have done. I ran in this, the same trainers for the full uh, 24 loops. And I'd never planned on doing that. It's just they were comfortable enough. So I just kept on going. And, and then because I'd done so many, I was then scared of changing. Whereas actually, no, I should have changed because I'd have felt fresher, new socks, and, and then just carried on. And yeah, it wasn't until I took my right, trainer off that uh, suddenly looked at that horrendous uh, blister that I'd got and yeah it was it was awful <laughs> yeah that was your picture on Facebook <laughs> yeah that <laughs> was quite disgusting that yeah was. thanks for sharing that um <laughs> do you find now that you've broken the 24 hours that you've got more confidence now going into a backyard definitely yeah because there was a gremlin that was attached to that and it was it, it I certainly had that stigma attached as I was going into it it's just thinking 24 24 24 and I think partly because of that, when I got to that 24, that's why everything switched off. Whereas I feel to go back to a backyarder now, it's not, right, okay, I need to get 24. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to enjoy the event and, and let's just see how it goes and how I perform on the day. Because as Bobby said, you, even though I go back, it doesn't mean I'm going to hit 24 every time, but you're, I don't feel the pressure to do it now. So I'm, I feel like I'd be much more relaxed to go further. It's just about down in the nutrition then, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. Nutrition, also sticking to your plan as well, because like I say, I'd not changed enough. I'd not changed my socks. I'd not changed my sh shoes when I, I promised to myself that I would, because I, I was worried about it having a negative impact. But no, ironically, it was the other way around. It's had that negative impact, I think, looking back by not doing that. So you, when you've got a plan and you know the plan works, don't then suddenly change it when you've not been asleep for 30 odd hours and thinking that you know best, because trust me, you don't. <laughs> One thing that was, because I've only done the one backyard, obviously, and um, obviously I'd done a lot of podcasts going into it, and I had yeah. a lot of great tips, but one thing that never came up, which you mentioned, which was very evident to me, was the rhythm. Mm. It's a very real thing in the backyard, isn't it? Trying to get that rhythm of, you know, going around, having your, having the stop, 
doing what you need to do, going around, having to stop, doing what you need to do. And it's this yeah. rhythm. And I actually lost, I could feel I had lost the rhythm, like at loop five, six, seven. I was like, because mm. I was coming out 20 seconds before the start. I was like, right, I'm going out in four minutes before the start. I'm going to stand there to try and get ahead of everybody <laughs> and try and get my rhythm back going. And I did. I was able to get the rhythm going again then. Um, but it's a beautiful, but no, that, that's it's a beautiful a thing, like, isn't it? I, I think um, I'm one of the few people, I don't know whether other people do it. I don't look into their training too much for... Um, because I don't want it to me to then be governed by what they're doing, but... I will actually go out and I'll, I'll spend the day at, um, we've got a National Trust place near us, Clumber Park, and, I, and I'll spend the day where I'll go and do 12 hours there and I'll use that as a training and I'll, and I'll do the format for 12 hours and I'll go there, I'll, I'll take everything as I normally would, I'll have my change of clothes, I'll have all the food, water and I'll fuel and I'll, I'll run it, disciplined, so that I'm coming in around 50, 51 minutes and then get used to that stop-start uh, rhythm that you say and eating between loops and because that's one thing that confuses a lot of people when they say oh so so how do you eat i says well what do you mean how do i eat i, I eat food and then i go out and run it's like well, no, but don't you throw up it's like well no it's not the first time i've done it i'll train so that my body's used to it um you, you don't just go out and run or most people don't go out and just run for 26.2 miles without doing any form of training you get your body used to it in the same way you do with your nutrition and, and that's what i had to do there i i found was getting used to that rhythm of run, get in, attend to any needs for any toilet or, or anything like that, then get some food down you, get some drink, a little bit of rest. Richie Hinson, who was next to me, he, he was trying to get two minutes sleep every now and again. So those awful three whistles that you hear, <laughs> it, it, when it got to the last whistle, he'd raise his head and off, off he'd go. Obviously it worked wonders for him because he actually won. Yeah, yeah, it worked, yeah. So what about 2021 then? Are you planning on... For the backyarder, um, I'm joining... Um, We've not really told anyone who the team is yet, but yeah, I've um, I've formed a team uh, for the last team standing in May. I think my other half is really taking a bullet there because she's coming to pit crew for us, and on the day that it'll go into, it is her fiftieth birthday. <laughs> so uh, she'll be crewing for me and a team of five other people on her fiftieth birthday. So, but it's going back to where she's from. She's from Northern Ireland anyway, so uh, it may well mean that. Um, this is all providing that um, we can do the event by then. Um, who, who, she may mean to, that she'll who are you see... trying to fool? Who are you trying to fool? Like, come on. <laughs> she'll she's see from Northern Ireland. She's Brilliant. going to see all her friends. She's going to be crazy yeah. for you on the backyard. Are we going to get an exclusive of who your team is? Um, yeah, why not? I'm not sure whether they'll uh, be happy with that or not. But yeah, go on. There's, um, there's Bobby Irvine, who won the uh, very first Castle Award. Johnny Breen, who came second at the World Champs. Uh, Adam McKee. And you've got Sean Nickel and Catherine Muskelly uh, and then myself. Brilliant. So I'm, I'm quite pleased with the team we've got there. It's uh, pretty good. All over 100 I'll, milers, some 150. I'll, on that topic, I'm not going to tell you the team name. That'll, that is yet to be released. So I'm, I'm not going to give too much away. But yeah, we've got a lovely little team name as well, which would be quite funny. That's class. The reason why I wasn't going to go into the backyard to the end, because I didn't want to go past your um, north run around Scotland, 500 miles, which you did this July. And yeah, well, that played a huge part in the whole 24 loops for me at the backyard. By doing that, it gave me a huge amount of confidence. Yeah, so just tell us a li just a little bit about that before we go. Well, uh, I wanted to do something because uh, I'd started to do a lot more ultra running, as you see, over those few years of doing the, the backyarders and, and 
was starting to enjoy it and enjoying the mental test, I wanted to do something that was really going to push me mentally. Uh, not just that, wanted to do something that uh, could raise some money. Last year, my uh, dad, uh, back in October, so just over a year ago, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Uh, he'd gone through one battle of cancer and he ended up being diagnosed again with the same cancer again because it'll kind of never go. My mum had gone through a battle for about 20 years ago as well of cancer. So I wanted to include some fundraising for Alzheimer's and cancer research and the NHS because it's all linked together. And then all of a sudden with this pandemic happening, I thought NHS charities together. Brilliant. OK, so linked to all those and also mental health as myself. So I wanted to raise uh, some money for those charities and do something that was completely bonkers that no one had ever done. Uh, unfortunately, by the timeline that I'd planned, uh, the April before, I think, or, or the uh, about 12 months before, a guy called William Sitchell had gone and done this run, which was running around the North Coast 500 around Scotland. And he'd gone out and done it incredibly quick. And it really frustrated me because I was like, oh, great. It's kind of scuppered the whole do something that no one's ever done. Um, but I was still I still wanted to go and do it because it looked phenomenal. And if anyone wants to go for a, a, a trip around anywhere but not flying abroad at the moment, yeah, get yourself up there. It is amazing. It was five, 500 it's, miles late, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, well, actually, no, I, it, it grates me a little bit, because like, my run was 524. <laughs> and, and it, it sounds like you're being pedantic by sticking on the 24 miles, because it doesn't sound much when you look talking about 500. But I'll tell someone when they say, no, you're just being picky. I says, well, should we go out for a 24-mile run and then see whether you think I'm being picky or not? Yeah, only, an, <laughs> only an ultra runner rounds it up to the mile. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did that take? Uh, it was two weeks, but it, in theory, that wasn't the amount of time that I was running. I was actually only running for 11 and a half days. That was because I didn't realize and didn't quite release all the details at the time, but I sprained my ankle uh, on the second day. So I did about 43 miles on the first day, 50 miles on the second day, but midway up Applecross Pass, which is just this phenomenal climb, single track road with passing places. I'd rolled my ankle and I'd felt it a little bit as we come back off, still had 10 miles to go, and it just carried on going, and it started to swell. And so I didn't panic people too much. I was just saying not because I only managed 13 miles on that third day before I had to stop and just couldn't go anymore. But to stop people panicking too much, and kind of in my own mind, I said, oh, I think I've been bitten, so I, I, I've suffered a bite, and I've got a swollen ankle, so I need to stop and rest. Um, I think I was kidding myself a little bit there because, yeah, I had rolled it. Went to the doctors the following day. She went along two bases there. She was phenomenal. It was either cellulitis or you sprain your ankle. And I'm pretty sure you sprain your ankle. But just to cover the cellulitis, I, I was then giving that antibiotics. Um, but she said, yeah, you need to rest as much as possible. I told, I told her what I was doing. And after she picked herself up off the floor from laughing, she, uh, she, she then uh, said, right, OK, well, can you at least give it two days? So I said, okay, I'll give it today and tomorrow and I'll, I'll give a little test run tomorrow evening. How does that sound? She goes, well, I'll give you my advice, but just listen to your body. <laughs> so I rest. I basically didn't move from the motorhome. The support crew that I had were, uh, the two Simons on those uh, two days were enjoying themselves <laughs> for the rest that they had, but they were also waiting on me hand and foot because I just refused to move. <laughs> I was lying in the motorhome, foot up, and even as far as two yards away, I said, can you pass me that, please? And yeah, they were they were getting me everything. But then on the Friday afternoon, did a two and a half mile test run. It was walking to start with. It was a bit painful, but then broke into a, a very little shuffle and thought, you know, I'm moving. So yeah, there's no reason why I can't. 
So then got back on it on the Saturday. He did about 45 mile on the Saturday and then midway through the Sunday did a 25 mile run round to Dundonald and it started to hurt a lot. So I thought, right, okay, let's, let's call it a day for today. That's one week done. I've done 175 miles. So let's, let's just, just put a line under that and then have the second week to go. My week two crew turned up and they, they saw me with an ice pack on one knee and the other le- uh, ankle all strapped up. <laughs> I pointed at it and said, look, trust me, this isn't over. And uh, But that left 350 miles to do in one week. And luckily, I hadn't really thought of it that way at that time. I just sort of, I, I just thought, right, okay, I'm going to carry on. And, and, and having a fresh crew, uh, Brian and Stuart turn up, yeah, that, that helped massively. But yeah, it was, it was weird having 175 miles under the belt, which was further than ever running the week. But then thinking... Double up. Uh, yeah, I've got double that to do now. Um, went out the following day, and, and it was it was the Monday morning of the first week that I hit rock bottom. My foot was swelling on my left foot, uh, so the ankle was swollen, but then the top of the foot was swelling. Uh, my right knee was hurting, and everything was breaking down. And, and in the first eight miles, I just fell to the floor. Uh, so I'm sat on the side of the road up in the north coast of Scotland, crying my eyes out <laughs> on the side of the road with no one around me, just not knowing what to do, smacking the floor. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? And and I'd said I'd already said to Jenny by this point I'm gonna do this. I don't care if the crew has to go home because I need to get back to work, and I have to kip under a bush. I'm not coming back to reality until I've done this. So you might not see me for a week or two. Um, but no, it was uh, it was four donuts from Tesco's and a bottle of Lucasade and a few painkillers later. Again, nutrition. I picked myself back up and uh, carried on. And all of a sudden, the end of that week was a bit of a blur because. That week two was 45 miles, 45 miles, and then 50, 50, 50, 50, and then finished with a 60-mile day. Jeez. And it, it was quite strange. <laughs> but that must be, it's one of those moments in time that you learn, learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd accepted my new reality. Um, took a little bit of um, advice from... Uh, the book that I'd read with uh, Ross Edgeley, The Crazy Fall That Swam Around Great Britain, about the whole sort of accepting that you're in a different reality. And, and in, my, in my mind, for the rest of my life now, I get up, I strap my ankle up, and I'll then have something to eat, get dressed, and go and run 50 miles, come home, have something to eat, uh, come back to the motorhome, have something to eat, and then repeat. And that's all I do for the rest of my life now, because as soon as I started thinking about being at home, getting that hug from Jen or uh, my family, my dogs and, and and sitting at home in front of the fire, having that nice lasagna that I thought or the steak or and, and thinking of those comforts. You want to stop because you don't want to be in that place of, of being so uncomfortable. So as long as I accepted that this is all I can do and this is what I've got to do. So there's nothing else to do. Then I'll continue. And, and that was what took a while to accept. But Jenny said she was on the phone to me at one point and it was near sort of start to the midway through that second week. She felt like a, um, I'd flicked a switch, which I didn't realise. But she said, I'd gone from this person that was moaning, um, not happy at my situation and not accepting to quite a bit more upbeat. And, and not necessarily just upbeat, but just thinking, yep, yeah, I'm here. I'm going to get a job done. Okay. Right. Okay. I've done a few more miles. I'm, how many miles? Yeah, I'm at 30 miles now. I've got another 20 to do at least today. And it was accepting my, my reality that I'd created for myself. Sitting here and listening to you, it's like, like the whole story from start to finish, you can tell the growth, 
you know it's a beautiful thing yeah. even hearing yeah. you there and like you were stripped down when you said that your your reality has changed i can feel that sense of you just being just stripped down to that innate sort of being you know and there was nothing else just you and that challenge that lay ahead of you and it's a mm. beautiful thing like isn't it? it it's an absolute it's almost a piece. yes and i think a lot of the times and when i look back to the backyards i wasn't willing to go past that point of me being sat on the side of the roads on my own crying smacking the floor not wanting to accept where i was going and i didn't get past that point and i didn't want to go past that point Whereas once I'd finally realised that, well, I suppose I didn't really have much choice at this point because my uh, my moto and my two crew guys were another three or four miles down the road, and bar ringing them to say, "Can you come back to me?" which I didn't want to do, I was on my own and I had to keep going because I, I don't think at any point I'd ever thought to myself, "I'm not going to do this," but I was just getting upset and not willing to accept how much pain I was going to have to go through to do this. That, that's what I was finding hard. It really was that breakthrough moment, wasn't it? And this, this is what mm. we're talking about. We know it exists because we see other people doing it. Um, but we have our own struggles trying to get to that place, i.e. like over 100 uh, miles in a backyard. But you can see the likes of Bobby Irvine, Sean Nickel, Johnny Breen, Barry McCarl. Better throw his name out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, but not be happy. Um, you know, you can see people doing it. And you know it's inside of you, but it's hard to get it out almost that 500 miles you actually went there and you, you didn't have much of a choice but to keep on going you'd set yeah. that in your mind and then you had mm. that breakthrough moment which was it's made for a beautiful podcast to be honest so thanks for that nick because <laughs> we've <laughs> talked about that journey and that it's that breakthrough that is an, an ultra run especially in the backyard and we talked about the mental sort of challenge that's what we're looking for and you're, mm. it just shows you you have to put yourself into that situation to be able to break through it, to become that person that you know is inside, to unlock that person. Yeah, yeah, because I, th I think modern-day society and how we are a lot of times, it, it lends it to the other way. It, it lends it to, let's just take the easy route, and how can I find the easiest way to achieve this? No, flip it the other way around. How, how can you find the hard way because you're going to grow? It, it sounds cheesy, but it, it makes you develop more, I think. So you're a PT trainer now. You started up your own business, Nick Lister, PT, yes, personal trainer. Yes, Fitness, yeah. Um, in my five minutes of prep, I've seen on your Facebook page, you updated your um, Facebook page March uh, 2018. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. King of prep, <laughs> king of prep. Well like. done. Um, but you talk, you touched on mental health there slightly and a lot of the things you just talked about, you know, sort of ties into that and into your normal life as well. Do you find then through that learning and the stuff that, and that growth that you've had through ultra run and that has helped you in ordinary life? Massively. And that, and that's one of the main reasons why I'll do a lot of this is because I, as I say, I've, I've suffered with my own mental health quite a lot over the years. Um, but because of what I've done and, and forced myself into these ridiculously uncomfortable situations sometimes, I find I'm, I'm better equipped to, uh, to go in life because you, you can't just pause the stopwatch. You can't, you can't pause your Garmin in life. It, it's still ticking through, so you've got no option to try and battle through. You can't just think, right, okay, I'm not going to go out for one more loop. You've, you've not got that option. So that, that's why I think by put yourself in uncomfortable situations and and forced bad situations yeah i, I think you think it battles you because when you've got that moment of 
okay, oh, by the way, your, your dad's got Alzheimer's or, yeah, yeah, the cancer's back. It's, right, okay, how am I going to approach this? Am I going to sit back and slip back into that where was me or, or, no, no, okay, it's another challenge. Right, let's get through. How, what can I do to help him? How can I make things better for people around him and, and help him more and more? Because, it, I don't know, it's just too easy to take easy routes, I think. And by forcing myself, it's, yeah, it makes people stronger. I, I can't emphasize that enough. And I'll do a lot of that in my PT work. And I think quite a few of my clients come to me because of they might have mental health problems themselves. Well, some of them have openly said that. So they want, unfortunately, that means I don't give them a great deal of sympathy um, because I, I've been in their situation. So they'll uh, they'll know that I'm coming from the right sort of place a lot of times. So, yeah, we, we have a bit of fun in that respect. But, yeah, it's... By putting yourselves in that situation, it helps you massively. Yeah, I think you the key point you made there was, you know, it, it teaches you how to to approach a problem. You know, breaking it down, understanding what you can control and what you can't control. You know, rather than, oh, for yeah. flip's sake, it's not another problem, not another problem. Yeah, well, it's like, oh, I've got another blister or, okay, so what am I going to do to solve this? Or, okay, um, I'm, my stomach cramps. And, okay, so what do I do next time to make sure I'm going to overcome that? And yeah, yeah, you're constantly learning and then solving problems, like you say. So you've done 100 miles in the backyard. You've done 500 miles around the north of Scotland. You've done Ironman. You've now got this brilliant tool that you have developed and sculptured, which is your mind. Have you anything out there that you would like to do? A big challenge or a big goal on the horizon? Um, I mean, this... I, I, there is something that I'd thought of, but I, I won't be saying what it is. But to be honest, when when I'd mentioned it to Jenny, um, I don't know how child-friendly the podcast is, but her response there was, uh, I, I said, oh, Jenny, I'm, I'm looking at doing, uh, not not right now, but maybe in some point in the next five to ten years. I thought this could be quite interesting because pretty sure no one's done it. And the, the straightaway response was, oh, fuck off, Nick. <laughs> so I... I I'm not, I mean, the biggest, the, the two words I've heard the most since doing um, the NC500 was, what's next? The first thing that I wanted to do was just spend a lot of time with the missus and, and the family and George and Grace. Because, and, yeah, when you do something like that, or even just doing a, a backyard draw or a, an Ironman or an outlaw, pe- people don't realise how much time you put in and how much of a sacrifice everyone around you makes. Mm. And also, I'm not so sure I could put my mother through it because as soon as I start mentioning things like that, she she starts getting sleepless nights. And and yeah, the people around you, they they, they have to sacrifice so much. And um, poor Jen, as I say, she's coming to crew on her 50th birthday. I, I put her through enough. So I I think I'm just going to enjoy training, training other people at the moment, but uh, continue with these backyarders because I, I just love the growth it gives you and I love the challenge because it brings something different every single time you do it. Nick, that was absolutely brilliant. I think we've done a good job there. Um, I really appreciate your time today. I know it's, uh... I appreciate being on here. I've seen the type of people that have been on here, and I just feel like I'm a, <laughs> I'm a bit of a scoundrel being on here when you look at all the other guys that have been on here, the, the names that you've interviewed, and then there's, there's me. I'm like, hang on, what, what am I doing there? But you have to appreciate inspiration comes to us in many ways, Nick. I look forward to running a few loops for you in the near future. Good luck with your team in May, and I wish you all the best. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. The key take home for me is the old cliche, never give up. It mightn't happen when you want it to, but perseverance and hard work will always get you there in the end. 
I heard a whisper that Alice Runnan is planning on releasing their February event in the next couple of weeks to keep an eye out. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why not follow us on Facebook and don't forget to check out the hiking tours in the Mourn Mountains. We've got Pam Reed on the podcast next week, one of my all-time favourite ultra runners. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>